0: So this week, I am sharing a really exciting announcement. And if you're listening live this week, I'm also bringing back one part of my three-part series on how to unlock the power of ChatGPT. And I'm doing both of these things because I just launched a new ChatGPT resource for nonprofits that I am so, so excited about. It's the Nonprofit ChatGPT Headquarters. So. For those of you who are longtime listeners, you have heard me talk about ChatGPT before. I am really bought into this tool. It is not some fancy, super techie tool that needs to be built out and figured out. It should be as integrated into your workflow and as simple as Google Docs. It's a capacity builder and a time saver. And my goal is to make it easy for organizations, particularly small and growing organizations where time and money and capacity are really an issue, to tap into the power of ChatGPT. If you aren't, you're leaving capacity on the table, and I want to help you solve that problem. So I took the questions and the conversations that I've been having with nonprofits for the last, really, six or seven months and turned it into a concrete tool, which is one of my favorite things to do. The nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters is an all-in-one workspace that supports you at every phase of using ChatGPT in your workflow, from giving you ideas to giving you prompts that you can cut and paste right into ChatGPT, to giving you an already built out place to save and organize the prompts that you like, the personalities that you try, and all of the work that you do using ChatGPT. So if you are still on the fence about ChatGPT, listen to this week's episode. If you're listening to a different episode and hearing this preview, head on over to this week's episode and get inspired. And when you're ready to take the next step and start saving you and your team hours of time and brain energy every week, you can head to brookrichiebabbage.com backslash ChatGPT-HQ and grab the workspace. Enjoy. hi welcome to the nonprofit mastermind podcast where every week i do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching scaling and leading a high impact nonprofit i'm your host rick ritchie babbage working to make the world a more just and beautiful place is messy complex heart-wrenching and ultimately deeply joyful and fulfilling work and none of us can do it alone that's why i started this podcast this mastermind community to hold space for and share the learnings and the questions and the grapplings and the actual concrete strategies that allow us to move our social impact work forward together. So welcome to the mastermind. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, hello. So today we're going to talk about how to think about hiring non-traditional staff to build out the capacity that your organization needs in a more cost-efficient way, right? For less money than it would take to hire full-time benefited people. And I'm going to be talking specifically about hiring consultants, fractional support, virtual assistants, and fellows, how to build a sort of fellowship program for far less money, (laughs) Right. So I'm talking about this because one of the toughest things about growing an organization is always capacity and more precisely calibrating the capacity you need with what you actually have the funding to pay for. I'm also talking about this because the work world is changing. It's way harder to hire for traditional roles. And at the same time, as we grow our organizations, our needs aren't changing. Right. We still need certain roles filled. So that means that we have to think expansively and creatively about what the roles are that we need capacity for and how to find that capacity. And we have to understand shifts in the job market, how to think about staff charts and hiring differently if we're going to build our teams without pulling our hair out, right? So I'm going to talk about building capacity by leveraging non-traditional lines of both full-time and part-time support. These are non-employed people. Now, I did a deep dive into this inside my accelerator. This is the, the third reason that I'm sharing this here. And the response was great. It was very, very aligned with the sort of chaos that the organizational leaders were navigating, right? We have work that we have to do. And actually, we're at a point in our growth where there's more work, right? More uh, demand for our programs. We're doing really good work. But the staff that we have is tapped out, right? We're at capacity. We're beyond capacity. And we don't yet have the general operating support or the consistent funding, because a lot of the organizations that I work with have money coming in every quarter, every year, but it feels a little bit like feast or famine, right? So they raise a lot in December and then they sort of spend it down for the first half of the year, which was definitely my experience in the earlier part of growing my organization. And that just means that they feel less comfortable hiring, right, hiring a full-time person and taking on responsibility for the increase in their burn rate, right, The, the monthly spend that having that salaried person will cost. So I thought that this would be a great topic to share with all of you all. I'm not going to do the whole deep dive here because it's a multi-hour training. What I am going to talk about is the types of work that lend themselves to non-traditional staffing support and how to understand what your organization needs so that you're identifying the right type of support to bring on, right? The right type of non-traditional support to bring on to build your capacity in a cost efficient way. I've also created a free non-traditional staff mapping guide to go along with this podcast. In that guide, I'm going to spell out the four types of non-traditional staff that I'm talking about. I'm not going to do that in this podcast. I may do another podcast episode where I walk through them, but it's actually information that lends itself to being written and organized. Um, on paper. So I'm going to give concrete examples of the four types of non-traditional staff that I mentioned, consultants, fellows, fractional support, and virtual assistants, and give concrete examples of what they can do for your organization. Now, in this episode, I'm talking through a four-part matrix that I use and that I teach to think about the roles that your organization needs, right, the work that needs to be done. And I've talked about role mapping a bit, in this podcast. So this is actually a a framework for how to do that. And I'm going to be helping you to locate these four types of non-traditional staff in what I'm calling the nonprofit role mapping matrix. That's what I'm going to be talking through today. You can download the staff mapping guide that walks through everything I'm talking about today, the four types of staff and exactly what they could do for you. And that will also include the matrix at richiebabbage.com. Backslash non traditional staff. So you can get the guide and the matrix for free to actually implement everything I'm talking about today at richiebabbage.com backslash non traditional staff. Pretty simple. So the first thing to know is that I'll be referencing these four types of non traditional staff, and I'm going to walk through how to figure out where to aim them to free up your capacity. I love a good framework as you know. So that's what we're going to do here. I want to walk you through thinking about the work inside your organization as falling into four buckets, okay? So think about your entire organization as being organized or the work of your organization as being organized into four quadrants. And you're going to carve up the roles in your organization according to skill level and the leverage that you get from the type of work. And that's how we organize or create the four parts of the quadrant, organized by the skill level required and the leverage that you get. So skill and leverage. So I'm going to walk through the four boxes of the quadrants. The first box is basic work, right? So we'll call this the basic box. This is low skill and low leverage. This is, these are sort of the easiest types of tasks to accomplish in your organization. These are the kinds of things that an associate or an intern might do. For example, data entry, social media posting is a great example. Even things like managing your calendar, managing and responding to emails. This is a great one. I have worked with a couple different organizations in my accelerator that have hired virtual assistants to triage their emails And I have loved watching this because it's the kind of thing that people feel like they're drowning because of just the sheer number of emails you get. And the reality is part of the problem with responding to emails or managing your calendar, meaning adding people to your calendar, figuring out when you're available to do what kind of work, those are things that feel small, right? Oh, I have five emails. I'll respond to five emails. Or, oh, I got a meeting request. It Feels little, but actually it takes up mental space. There is a sort of mental load, they call it, associated with each email you have to respond to. You have to think about and process what's being said to you in the email or the meeting request. You have to calculate in your head what you're going to say, where that person fits in your calendar, and then you have to respond. Each of those three things is a separate task and takes work, not a lot of work, but actual work. And that adds up over the course of the day. So these low-skill, low-leverage tasks in box one, in the basic box, are not things that are not important, right? They're not things that don't have to be done. They're just things that they're little and they add up. These are the best things (laughs) to not do, (laughs) not do yourself. So I'm going to get into that a little bit later in the episode. But this idea of hiring someone to triage, meaning you give them sort of a framework for you know, folders to send emails to, and someone besides you becomes the first line of defense in your emailing is just—it's magic. Watching the impact that this has on on some of the folks that I work with. So, box one in this quadrant: basic box, low skill, low leverage. These are not things that are hard to do, but you also don't get a lot of leverage for them. They, you just cross them off. They're sort of point in time work, data entry responding to emails, et cetera, social media posting. So the next box is low skill tasks, but low t- low skill tasks at scale. This is what we call the efficiency box. These are low skill but higher leverage. These will typically involve organizing information. So if the low skill low leverage is just entering the data, right? When when it's done, it's done, you don't get much return on investment beyond the entering of the data then the higher leverage element of the data is organizing it so that you can use it more easily. You can access it more easily. So we're talking low skill, it's not hard to do, but higher leverage, things that make utilization of information more efficient. That's why we call this the efficiency box. So setting up basic systems to capture and organize data codifying and concretizing tasks that have to be done in the organization or tests that are working really well or that make up the core of the organization so examples would be segmenting your donor list right so making sure that all the donor donations are entered into your crm and making sure that that information is up to date and current basic right low skill low leverage you don't get a lot of leverage or return on investment beyond the actual task itself. But segmenting your donor list, or even your newsletter list of folks who may not yet be donors, going into your email service provider and adding tags and creating segments means that how you communicate with those people becomes much more efficient. You do not have to send blast emails to your entire list. You can actually send blast emails to people who have come to certain kinds of events talking about those kinds of events it's a much better way to communicate with your donor list and it's a much higher leverage way of doing fundraising right it's not it doesn't take a lot of skill which means it's pretty easy to do but you actually get more bang for your buck with a segmented list another example creating naming conventions for the files in your organization I always like to tell the story with the folks that I work with about how uh, when I was building up my leadership team and building up my staff early on there was just me and my director of programs and we sat sort of side by side in a WeWork office. So we were I always saw her and she always saw me and we didn't really need a naming convention. She you know, saved things on her computer. I saved things on mine. If I needed to find a file, I was like, hey, where's X, Y, and Z file? And she'd send it to me. It worked great for like nine months. And then two things happened. One, you and I went on maternity leave back to back. So there was like a five and a half month period where we were not together in the same office, but the same level of work needed to be done. It was actually a huge forcing function in my organization, these back-to-back maternity leaves. I should do a whole podcast episode (laughs) on leaves of absence and how they actually make your organization stronger. But in this case, that was the first thing that happened. So we had to figure out how while she was gone, I would find important documents and information in her system and vice versa. The second thing that happened in part to help us with this was I hired my first director of operations. I had not intended to do that and that is another story for another time. Talk about sort of adding capacity before you have the money for it. It was one of the best hires I ever made, but that second person on our leadership team, so it was me, director of programs and our director of operations, she came in and she didn't understand any of how we were saving files. We had some things on our desktops and some things in it was Dropbox at the time. Now we use Google, but in Google, some shared folders, you know, my director of programs might name things like meeting with Joseph on the third, you know, on July 3rd, I had a much more structured system, but it was my system, right? It was not a shared system. That made communicating with one another really, really hard. And particularly as a director of operations who needed to be able to access information data, documents quickly and easily, efficiently, right? We're in the efficiency box. She actually needed there to be systems set up. So this sort of low-level setting up of systems, one of the first things she did was a naming convention, right? That's an example of a low-level efficiency-based system. She basically said, here's how we're naming all meeting files. Here's how we're naming all agreements with strategic partners. Here is how we're naming all internal meetings, like everything had a name. I I come to love naming conventions. And I use that as an example and sort of tell that story because this is something that fits really squarely in this efficiency box, right? It's low skill. It was not hard to set up a sort of system for naming everything. But it was very high leverage. Once that happened, we were able to access information and share information far more efficiently, right? High leverage. Okay. So that's box two low skill, high leverage, efficiency box. So those are both boxes on one half of your four quadrants. Those are both sort of low skill tasks. The basic box is low skill, low leverage. And the efficiency task box is low skill at scale. The other half, of your four quadrants. The other two boxes are higher skill boxes and they're also organized by leverage. So box three is high skill, low leverage. And this is what we call the talent box. This is typically where you'll want someone who is trained for or has skill in a particular type of work. This is either highly skilled, like an accountant or a social worker or lawyer, Or someone with years of experience in a particular program area. You know, if you run a theater program, this might be someone, you know, who's been in the theater for decades, right? So they are they have a high level of skill in this particular type of work, and or specifically skilled. So skilled in a targeted or particular area. So this is someone who has IT or a particular kind of technical training. I also see evaluation and curriculum development, copywriting. These are things where there's a niche that they are sort of focused on. But the key for box three is that there's a type of work, and you actually need somebody who is really good at that type of work. Examples here would be copywriting, right? So, or curriculum development. So you have a program that you want to build out, and you really need a program, curriculum that's designed um, that hits certain, say, youth development targets, right? This was something that we had to do with our youth development programming. There were certain outcomes that we wanted to be able to speak to, and I needed somebody who had developed youth development curriculum who knew how to do that, right? Who knew how to develop curriculum in a way that wasn't just people showing up and going to a workshop, but doing it in a way that moves them towards certain outcomes, and so we partnered with a curriculum development consultant, someone who was highly skilled in that particular area. Another example cash flow analysis and developing financial reports. So, entering financial data, basic box, setting up monthly reports through your QuickBooks, that's basic at scale, right? It's much more efficient to review financial data when it's organized into reports. That's great. When you're ready to take the next step and you actually want someone to be able to sit and say, here's what this data is telling you about the kinds of choices you should be making now versus later, right? There is a funding cliff coming up because these multi year grants end all right around the same time. You can see that, but here's some insight into what that might mean for how you think about your fundraising. Oh, look. Every quarter, every second quarter for the last four years, we've seen this kind of thing happen with your fundraising. What might that mean for how you want to plan your cash flow in Q2? That type of analysis of the reports often requires somebody with some financial acumen, right? Financial skill. The Or another area to think about in the talent box, the low leverage but high skill, is higher level systems design. So thinking through, say, your professional development structure. I've seen organizations bring somebody who has HR skill in just to do an audit of their professional development pipelines and say, look, here's what you could set up to move people through a professional development program within your organization. It's something that I've seen a bunch of, a lot of larger organizations do as they bring in sort of lower skilled folks and want to move them up inside the organization. So that's, there are people who do that, who are trained in that. So then the last box is where the executive director should be aiming to spend as much time as possible. I want to say the majority of time, but every time I say that it freaks people out because it's hard to spend the majority of your time in this box. This is what we call the multiplier box. It's high leverage and high skill. So these are the kinds of high leverage types of works that I've talked about a lot on my podcast and in my newsletter, my LinkedIn posts. I'm a big fan of leverage. It is very, very important if you want to grow without burning out, figuring out the tasks that you can accomplish or the work that you can do where the return on the investment of your time is Far greater than what you're actually putting in. You put in one hour of time and it gets you five hours worth of impact or revenue, right? High leverage. So in this multiplier box, you're thinking about things like building strategic partnerships, thought leadership for the organization, relational fundraising. So the hours and time that the executive director is spending meeting with, talking to, building relationships with potential major donors, potential funders, that can feel in the moment like you're not really crossing things off your list, right? You're not moving the work forward, but actually you are, right? Actually, every hour that you spend strengthening a relationship in a, in a real way with a potential major donor, the impact on potential revenue down the line is huge. So that's actually why it's a multiplier role or a multiplier task. And this is often the work that you're not going to hire out for. This is where you want the executive director to be. And so these other three boxes, the basic box, the efficiency box, and the talent box are really where you're looking to build up your capacity in part as an executive director to free you up to be in this box. So the second step, once you have sort of mapped out and, and my recommendation is to do this. Actually, you know, print out the quadrant. You're going to get it in the guide if you download it, richybabbage.com backslash non-traditional staff. The matrix is in there. Actually go through and create sort of your role map in this in these quadrants, right? What needs to happen in my organization and what boxes does everything fit into. Once you've done that, the second step is figuring out where and how you can most easily and cost-efficiently shore up your capacity. So I'm going to go back through the boxes and make some suggestions. High leverage, high skill. So in the multiplier box, I'm starting here because it's the simplest one. You don't want to hire here, generally speaking. This is where, as the executive director, you want to spend most of your time. This is; These are things that are usually best done by the executive director, right? It's the visioning for the organization. It's the relationships that need to be held first and foremost by the executive director. If you have a development director to share those relationships with and people on your board to share those relationships with, that's excellent. That's wonderful. And there'll be stronger relationships. But the executive director has to be at the forefront of those, of that relational fundraising. Thinking about strategic partnerships, I've talked in this podcast and in some of my other work about thought leadership right stages you should be on pages you should be writing for how to get in front of the kinds of donors and supporters that you want to attract into your organization so you want to spend time in this multiplier box the next box is the talent box to think about so this again is high skill but low leverage right it's just somebody getting good work done it's not necessarily the highly leveraged work but it's super important. If you're building your team internally, this is where you want to think about growing or solidifying your leadership team. So directors and managers, C-suite folks, will most likely and should be in the talent box. As the executive director, you may also share some of this work. It'll depend on the specific task. So when I had my leadership team, I did not tend to share most of the IT and tech and HR work that was in this box because I had someone on my team who was very, very good at it, right? They were more talented. That was their zone of genius and not mine. I've also talked about zone of genius, sort of knowing your zone of genius and delegating and hiring for everything else. So that was not, those were not tasks that I shared. But strategic communications, was something that I shared because it tied very directly for our work to policy work that we were doing and some legislative advocacy we were doing. And so that was, um, I, I sat in that box, right, in the talent box. It also, the policy work and the legislative work was part of my skill and part of my talent. So it made sense for me to be in that box in that way, right? So the executive director may share some of this, but as you're thinking about shoring up capacity to give you time to do the work that you really need to be doing as the steward of the organization, in this box, you're thinking, if you're looking internally, you're thinking directors, managers, C-suite folks. Now, as you're thinking about, or if you're thinking about non-traditional staff in this box, you wanna hire people who are highly skilled in key areas so that they can actually own the work. The key to think about as you're hiring non-traditional folks in this talent box is you wanna hire for ownership, not execution. This bucket, this box, is where hiring fractional support makes a lot of sense. So I have talked about fractional support in a couple of great podcasts. There are some great examples that I've given a fractional support. The first podcast that I'll refer you to is a conversation that I had with Jermaine Guillaume, whom I love, and she runs a fractional CFO agency for nonprofits. So that's sort of fractional chief financial officer. The other podcast that I absolutely love conversation is with a good friend of mine, Cindy Wagman, who talks about fractional fundraising. So fractional fundraising, fractional CFO or financial support, fractional marketing, fractional CMO is what they'd be called. These are really popular areas of fractional support in this talent box, right? You have organizations that are growing, that are scaling, that are looking around and everything's owned by the executive director, right? The executive director is straddling the multiplier box and the talent box. And so looking at all the financial management and financial analysis, right? So when we talk about talent, the talent box, we're talking about people who can add some expertise and analysis to the finance piece. We're talking about people who understand strategic communications, right? Who understand how copywriting, how email sequences should and can be built to move people into deeper relationship with your organization. There are people who are really good at that. That is their zone of genius. That's what they do. The creation of content, the development of the strategy. When we talk about fractional fundraising, we're talking about people who stand as a development director in your organization, who are thought partners to you in the development of fundraising strategy, fundraising calendars and plans. They, These people, fractional support, are people who have expertise and skill in particular areas, and they're bringing their director-level expertise and skill into your organization without being a full-time staff person. That's essentially what fractional support is. So this bucket, this talent bucket, where you look around and you're like, we really need director-level support, but I don't have director level money, right? Full-time director of development or director of finance. We're not there yet organizationally, but we need that skill. We need that expertise and I need to not own it, right? It shouldn't sit with me either because I'm not good at it or because it's actually taking up way more of my time and it's taking time away from me that I could be spending in the multiplier box. Think fractional support. The other type of non traditional hiring that's great for this box, for this talent box, is certain types of independent contractors where the work is discreet and time bound. So, this is where you might hire a copywriter to build out your donor welcome sequence, right? You know that you want, and you should have this, a sequence of emails that new donors at different levels, again, the segmentation is important, that new donors are brought through to introduce them to your organization, to share impact and highlights, to welcome them into your community and tee them up for future gifts, future cultivation. It's a a donor welcome sequence. That's a very discreet and important talent-based project where you can hire somebody who does that for a living, who's very good at that, for far less money than it would take to hire a development director, right? If you've got the rest of the development stuff covered, but these discrete project-based and time-bound projects are things where you'd really like some expertise, that would be a great example. We talked about a curriculum designer, right? I used the curriculum designer to come in and just create our curriculum for and with us, right? Instructional designers, curriculum designers are great at that. We have this content, we have this expertise internally and now we need it turned into something that we can train volunteers, train teaching artists, etc. on, we could stumble through it internally or we could go to somebody who's very good at that and have them do it. Evaluation is a third area where I've seen the independent contractor work really well in this talent bucket, this talent box. We need to step up our evaluation. We have a logic model that needs to be updated, we need to get much clearer about the outcomes we're shooting for and how to gather data that will give us insight into these outcomes. There are people who do that, right? So you hire a consultant to come in and do that work with and for you. So that's the talent bucket. Now let's think about the efficiency bucket or the efficiency box. If you remember, this is low skill, high level, high leverage. So now we're going to the half of the matrix that's the low skill half. So the efficiency box is low skill tasks at scale. This is work that as an executive director, you want off your plate. You should not be doing any of this. And if you are, this is a great place to hire. These are like the definition of a time suck. They feel like you're doing important work. And it is just not work that's going to move your organization forward in meaningful and significant ways. As the, as the executive director. Work that must be done. It is important work. It's just not work that the executive director should do. I will add that it is often work that directors and managers, so people in your leadership team, it's often work that might be tacked onto their role. That's okay. People higher up in workflows will often have to absorb lower workflow or sort of downstream work, that's okay, particularly as you're building out your staff. I have often talked about this on the podcast and I I have a training specifically about how to think about hiring. I've always said hire for ownership first, that our instinct can be to hire lots of executors because they're cheaper, but actually it just means that everything is owned by the executive director. What you actually want to do this is getting into a totally different topic, but it's it's important to think about this for the efficiency box. What you actually want to do when you're growing is hire for ownership, hire directors and managers, because they can do some of the efficiency box work until you are able to hire people to take that work off their plate. What doesn't happen is the work in reverse right you can't hire a bunch of people to execute and then ask them to also own work own the strategy own the vision it's much harder to go in the other direction so in this efficiency box you don't want this to be the executive director it's okay if some of this work is handed to your leadership team as you're growing but if you're think so that's internally but if you're thinking about shoring up capacity adding new capacity, this is a great place to think about, virtual assistants, and also consultants. So not so great for fractional support because they will tend to be higher skill level, but virtual assistants and fellows are excellent. If the work is discrete. so something like creating a, an SOP, right? A standard operating procedure for a type of work or building a manual. I have a lot of folks who will hire someone to finish their employee manual things like drafting organizational policies, right? So the way a consultant might do that is they come in, they do an audit of everything that you're doing that's working, they do some interviews, and then they come back and say, look, here are your HR policies. Here's best practice. Here's how you should think about professional development. Here's how you should think about hiring. This is also, we talked about organizing data, creating naming conventions, setting up IT systems. The question to ask yourself in this box as you're thinking about shoring up capacity with external non-traditional folks, can this be turned into a project and hired out? Right? Can it be concretized and contained and given to a person? What part of this can be given to a person to take it off the plate of either the executive director or even someone on my leadership team? VAs, and I'll talk about this in the free guide, VAs can do a lot of this stuff. This is a great box for VAs. I'm also going to talk in the guide about structured fellowship programs. So structured fellowship programs for growing organizations are a really creative and powerful way to bring close to full-time staff sort of capacity into the organization in a way that is affordable. And I talk about this in the guide. I'm also working on a podcast episode where I go more in depth into that because there's some legal things to think about. But the idea is that you have a time-bound, usually nine to 10 months, stepped up, not an internship, not an externship, but a fellowship where a person owns a sort of discrete lower on the workflow type of work. So something in the basic box or the efficiency box is owned by this person. And they're in charge of all of it, right? They own it. And they function a lot like an associate or a coordinator. A lot of organizations would call this level of employee if they were employee, an associate or a coordinator. And there is learning and professional development that happens as part of the fellowship. So I'll go way more into it in a future podcast. I think I'm going to work on that um, two or three weeks from now. So keep an eye out for that. And it's definitely in the guide. But this box, this efficiency box, is great for that for a VA or a fellow. And then for the low leverage, low skill, right? The basic box, this should almost always be a VA or a fellow or even an intern. These are things, remember, like hosting on social media, like, entering basic data again triaging emails this is an excellent place for a low-cost virtual assistant that's what VA I think I've defined it <laughs> defined it earlier in the episode but if not I when I say VA I mean virtual assistant they are just the sort of undertapped incredible wellspring of support and capacity for nonprofits and they are excellent for this box this basic box in the efficiency box so that's that's my walkthrough of the different kinds of roles that you want to build capacity for and how to think about the types of non-traditional staffing that are best suited for each type of role. As a next step, download the non-traditional staff mapping guide that I talked about with the matrix so you can fill it out for your organization and get some get some ideas about how a fellow might be able to help with the efficiency box or whether fractional support or how a consultant might be a good fit in the talent box. Definitely check out the part about how VAs can help you with the basic and the efficiency boxes. I think that is, like I said, an under-tapped, underutilized source of capacity for nonprofits. And that's it. That's it for now. <laughs> um, I hope this was helpful. And like I said, keep your sort of eye out for the episode about the building out a fellowship model inside your fellowship program, inside your organization that'll be here in the next few weeks. Also, this Friday is the second installment of my conversation with the wonderful Rhea Wong, and we are talking about the three buckets of growth strategy that you need to think about if you want to be really intentional and really targeted about scaling your organization. Last Friday, we released our conversation about mindset, money mindset, and leadership mindset in particular. And this Friday, we will be talking about the internal infrastructure shift shifts and changes that you really need to make in your organization if you want to be ready to scale. Not every organization that wants to scale is ready to scale, is ready to grow. And so we're going to really pinpoint what does it look like to be ready to grow. And that'll be with me and Ria on Friday. So download the staff mapping guide, richiebabbage.com backslash non-traditional staff. The matrix is in there too. And I will see you back here next week for more Mastermind. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you liked this podcast, I would also love for you to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think that what we talk about here could benefit another leader in your life, please share with your friends. Finally, if you'd like more leadership in your life, you can sign up for my weekly five-minute read Leadership Forward 321 newsletter. I send articles, resources, and inspiration every week curated around a leadership theme to help you lead your nonprofit better. You can sign up at richybabbage.com backslash leadershipforward321. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining me, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.